O leaders of the apostles and teachers of the world, intercede with the Master of all, that he may grant peace unto the world and to our souls his great mercy. Amen. Okay, so we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the last two studies we um, spoke about uh, the middle part of the chapter a little bit, the image of the building and the hay and how you build and the day of testing. And so we spent two times on that because we got into some interesting conversations and discussions. Now we're ready to move on. So hopefully we'll finish chapter three, and maybe even start chapter four uh, today. So if anyone wants to read, uh, we're at verse 16, verse 16 and 17. Does anyone want to read those two verses, 16 and 17? Kate, you want to? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Wonderful. So this is, as I mentioned in, in Paul's writings, he loves to go to different themes and then another theme and another theme and come back and touch on it. So things will start building. Um, this is, well, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those themes that's building is the idea of, of what is the church. And one of the big problems that they have among the problems is divisions within the church is a big one. They're all uh, divided about different. They have their different camps, the Paul camp and the Apollos camp and the Peter camp and the ones that try to be better than everyone and say, well, I'm part of the Jesus camp instead. And uh, so that's one problem is all these divisions. And um, another issue is that they are going to pagan temples still. Um, and kind of double dipping, if you will, still going to pagan uh, sacrifices and parties and things like that. And that's part of the divisions as well. They're, they haven't fully uh, accepted Christ as the one God that they worship, as the, the truth and the life. They're filling themselves with other spirits, the demons at these pagan things and then coming to the church. And as you'll see, there's a lot of chaos going on in the church. Even when they have the Eucharist, there's chaos happening. And he'll get to that. He's building up to certain things. This is one of those things he's building up to, um, is um, that you are the temple of the living God. And he said this earlier at the end of chapter 2. If you go back and, and review that, you can see where he talked about this before. Um, that that um, we have received the Spirit of God into us. So this is, this is something um, that's a big part of the Christian life, is that to be a Christian means to be animated by the Holy Spirit um, and to have the mind of Christ. These are things that, that he talks about. And so when he says, you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you, there's really two things you could take that as. You, as in the whole church, is the body of Christ. That's what we call 
The church is the body of Christ. And when we gather together as church, the Holy Spirit is present. Because Christ is present as well. Because he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. And, um, and that is made possible with the Holy Spirit. Um, where one person of the Trinity is, they all are there. Um, so when we gather together as the body of Christ um, in our church building, the Holy Spirit fills us if we are um, open to that, if we are willing to submit ourselves to God and open ourselves to his grace. And then also the other part of what he's saying here is that you personally are the temple of God that the Spirit of God wishes to dwell within the temple of you as a person. Um, and this is, this is something, if I'm not mistaken, the way that I've understood Old Testament versus New Testament, this is something that wasn't present in the Old Testament. Um, in other words, man had been disconnected from God in such a way that God, if you look at the Old Testament, speaks to people but does never say that I will be in you, that I will fill you. I will tell you how to live your life, in a, and, and I'm working with you from the outside. But with the incarnation of Christ, uh, the possibility is opened, the incarnation specifically. With the incarnation, God and man are united in the person of Christ, opening the possibility through Christ of us receiving God and being reunited to God. That's a big change for people uh, here. So what they think of when they think of spirits and being filled with a spirit, what they're seeing in their lives as the Corinthians is they go to the idol temple, the idol's temple, and either in the idol that they set up, a spirit may speak through that idol. And they hear this oracle through the idol and that's uh, how they're receiving wisdom, you could say, through this oracle, through this demon, really, that's speaking through this inanimate, uh, man-made uh, idol, and the spirit is speaking. So St. Paul is, is taking that and saying, look, that's so silly to look at that because you are the temple of God. You don't have to go to the pagan temple to receive an oracle. You are the temple of God that wasn't fashioned by the hand of man like an idol, but was fashioned by the hand of God. You are a temple. And in you, the Holy Spirit wishes to dwell and live and animate your temple, just like you're falsely going to the idol's temples and seeing that idol being animated. No, the true vision of this is of God is that you are the temple in which the Holy Spirit uh, wishes to dwell. Um, and so that's what um, he's, he's telling them, the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Um, and that's, a, that's our, our calling, if you will. Um, so then he says, if, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Um, and, and we mentioned last time, too, that to defile a temple in the ancient world is like the, the worst possible thing you can do. And so what he's saying, what he's going to be leading up to with this is kind of 
um, leading towards, so the, the, the wonderful part of you being the temple of God and the spirit of God um, dwelling um, in you. And then he's going towards, do not defile that temple. So one of the other big problems is sexual immorality that's happening in the community. There's some, there's some funny things going on there. And as a community, they haven't dealt with it. I think it's, I can't forget, it was like a, a man is cohabitating with like his sister's husband. No, some funny thing going on. I can't remember exactly. We'll get to it. Not that it really matters, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's things going on where, you know, when they go to the idol's temples, all kinds of sexual perversions are happening. And he's saying, no, you are the temple of God. And when you participate in these things, um, you are being a temple defiler, which is kind of the worst possible insult you can give to somebody. So he's, he's, that's where he's leading to with this. He's, it's a one little sentence here. He's sowing a seed where later he'll spend a whole chapter on this kind of thing. But he's sowing that, that uh, uh, seed there. Okay, any thoughts or questions about, about those things? Yeah. This mm-hmm. is probably a very simplistic yeah. thought, but the first thing that came to mind when you said that in the New Testament, the Spirit of God dwells within us. It's mm-hmm. not something we had in the Old Testament. The first thought, for the better, the mm-hmm. worse, that comes to mind is, well, that doesn't seem fair to mm. people who came before. Yeah. I know that's not yeah. the answer. Yeah, it's interesting. So the people that go before, it's a fascinating thought because we know that before Christ came, heaven was closed paradise was guarded by the angel that was set at the garden in the book of Genesis. The angel is set at the garden. So paradise is closed. And if you look at not just the the scriptures, but like the Jewish understanding of life and death, is that everyone that dies goes into a place called Sheol, or, or Hades, we would call it. Whether it's Abraham, a righteous person, or Ahab, a not very righteous person, Everyone goes there. And what it's like there, we don't know, but we have an idea that some places in Hades are better than others. Some may be closer to light and some are farther down. And that's where you get an, an example of that is in the gospel, we had a f- couple Sundays ago of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man dies and Lazarus dies. And then they have this conversation in Hades. They're talking to each other. They're both in Hades, but it says that Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. You heard that term, Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is an area of Hades that's kind of like the Beverly Hills. (laughs) In other words, you know, there's maybe a stream going through and a palm tree and it's pretty nice. And people that are there are the righteous people where... You know, the, the rich man in the story is not. He's in a, a not as nice place. So I don't, and this is all spiritual imagery with metaphors, but the idea is that, yeah, all those people go into Hades. Now, there's an interesting thing. I, to be completely honest with you, I only um, saw this verse recently, and I can't remember the actual verse, but it's in the epistle of James he has this interesting little phrase that he says. He says, he's talking about Noah and the flood and all these people die in the flood. 
right? And you're like, that's not fair, right? Good people and bad people are all going to Hades. Like, what's going to happen? He says, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't have it. We, as soon as we're done, we'll look it up. Or if anyone's listening to the recording, I'm sure my dad's listening, will listen to the recording, and he'll send me. This always happens. Whenever there's something we don't know, I get a message from my dear father saying, here's the answer. So if he was here, then it would be amazing. Um, so anyway, so in the epistle, he says, don't worry about the people who died in the flood because Christ came and preached to them in Hades, basically. I'm paraphrasing. But the idea is that all those people that died, they're not lost. They're simply waiting for Christ to heal the world, to open paradise again. And before opening paradise, or as he's opening paradise, Christ descends into Hades when, after he dies on the cross. Descends into, the, into Hades and um, preaches, in other words, you know, offers himself as the solution <laughs> to these people's uh, prison sentence in Hades. And we have this language in our church every single Sunday. We talk about how Hades is despoiled. Christ has descended and freed the prisoners in Hades that the devil had held captive. That Christ descends and offers every person in Hades uh, entrance into paradise, along with the good thief, who's the first one, right, that accepts Christ at the cross. So does that address it a little bit or at least explain that? And the other interesting thing, too, about this idea that the, the spirit dwells in us in ways that weren't possible before um, is um, in, the, in the scriptures, it says that uh, I think it's, it, oh, I'm not, I'm even, I think it's in, in Joel, if I'm not mistaken, I will write the law into their heart is what the Lord says. That before in the Old Testament, in the Moses, receives the tablets of the law of how to live our life. But then a prophecy says that there will come a day when the law will be written in their heart. And every man will know me and will not need to be taught because I will be in them. And I will teach them myself. And they won't need to say to each other, know the Lord, for everyone will know me. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and teaching us. As Christ said, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. Um, so this is, this is something that's new and powerful for these people. That, that, that the law, that the ways of the Lord are not just something that we learn about externally, but that the Lord communicates and teaches to us in our hearts and writes his law into our heart. And, and we say these things because, you know, obviously this is 2,000 years ago that they were new. But for us, too, to remind ourselves of these things is important, that the opportunity is there to taste the Lord, to experience the Lord, to dwell in the Holy Spirit. This is the vision of humanity that Paul loves to talk about, is this, um, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, any other thoughts or questions there before we move on? Anybody? Okay. Uh, Lucy, do you want to read? Sure. Um, 18 through the end, 23. Sure. Let no one deceive himself. <clears throat> if anyone among you seems to be wise in his let him become a fool that he may become a wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. 
for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Wonderful. So in the, the first part there is a bit of a repetition from earlier, where he's talking about wisdom and foolishness. He talks about it earlier in the scriptures that the, the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. Um, and what that was a reference to earlier was the idea of the cross being looking to us as foolishness and weakness to people that are worldly minded, that value worldly things like success and power and you know intellectual wisdom. The cross looks like uh, weakness and foolishness and silliness in a way. But for us, he says earlier, for those who believe, it is the power of Christ because through the cross, he has defeated death and shown us the way to live by embracing suffering and following him to the cross to take up our own cross. So that looks like foolishness. The idea of take up your cross, embrace suffering. Like if you're poor, if you're weak, glory in that because the power of God can be manifested in your weakness. This is another major theme, strength in weakness that he comes back to. And he'll use himself as the ultimate example in just a minute in chapter four, when he talks about the apostles are the worst of all, the, the, uh, the latrine of everybody, literally is what he says uh, of everybody in the, in the world. We're the worst. <clears throat> but he says, I glory in that because Christ's power is made manifest in that. Which is that, so that's what he's, he's reiterating that, coming back to that theme. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And that's both like the wisdom in terms of, you know, how we think about life, but also the wisdom, you know, in terms of our values of life, what we think is, is good often is foolishness uh, to God. And he's also talking when he talks about wisdom of those oracles, those um, Idols that are giving some wisdom from this spirit, this evil spirit. So this is foolishness to God. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. He knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So he's quoting there as it notes here from Job and the Psalms. Um, and so let no one boast in men for all things are yours. So everything he's telling them, everything is already yours. You have everything because you have the Holy Spirit. You have that possibility of direct communion with God. So why would you go to the pagan temples and, and get some wisdom or something that sounds like wisdom from a false God when you have the possibility of direct contact with the Almighty God in you, right? And he gets, he gets in a beautiful way, you have to love St. Paul for when he gets excited about something, right? He, he starts to, to crescendo a little bit. And he'll do it in a big way towards the end of the epistle. I think he spends a whole half chapter, that, that famous part of love is patient, love is kind, you know, that's a famous part that we'll get to. So here he's having one of those moments of excitement. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, as he's talked about before. 
These are those divisions that have divided them. He's like, you're, you're, all of these people are, um, you know, this is your, your call to something much beyond just looking at just them or the world or life or death, all things present or things to come, all are yours. All are yours. And, and, you, and this is, makes them very happy because the Corinthians love to think of themselves as rich and sophisticated and successful. So he loves, so he's, he's kind of speaking their language there, saying, all things are yours. You have everything. And not just, I mean, he's saying things present and things to come, the world, everything is yours. It's a big thing to say. I thought that's like the ultimate thing for all of them, right? Everything is uh, is yours. And that's what Amazon tries to tell us. Everything can be yours, right? <laughs> and I was going to be facetious uh, and say, uh, instead of looking at Google, we should go into the Bible. Yeah, that's exactly. Google. Yeah, the wisdom of Google is foolishness. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We go to Google to find out uh, things. What's going on in the world? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or, or chat GBT now is the... The uh, AI. Well, you'll have to ask your son because he's a big fan of <laughs> ChatGPT. Sometimes, yeah. You, you can. I get into some really strange conversations with him. You know what? I think I think this means. Well, when we share this, this uh, episode, we'll have to make sure Steve listens to it, yeah. and we're challenging him to come to Bible study and defend himself. Yeah. <laughs> defend himself and chat GPT. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and completely opposite of his brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, that's, I had a seminary professor that was also, you, I, we, would, we would ask ourselves the same thing, like, what what plane of existence is this person on? His name was Dr. Tim Dr. Tim Petitsis, and he's like the best professor. Like we loved him so much. And his book is like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. But like in class, he would get off on this. He's talking about cities and the tripartite society and all these things. And we're like, what plane of existence do you live in? <laughs> it's completely <laughs> Completely different. Okay, so all things are yours, and they love to hear that, right? But then he twists it all of a sudden on them, and he says, and you are Christ's. In other words, they're really Christ's, and they're only yours when you are with Christ, right? Does that make sense? So they're all yours because you are Christ's, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And as we know, the Lord says, all that the Father has is mine. And all that the Son has, he wishes to share with all of us. And since God is the creator of the world and all things are his, if we are with Christ, if we are one with Christ, then all things are ours as well. It's a, it's a mystery, but like when you dwell in that mystery, that's the place to go. It's kind of the antidote to consumerism, <laughs> right? Because the world tells us, all things are yours when you work hard and you get lots of money and you buy lots of stuff. You can conquer the world and buy an island in the Bahamas, right? <laughs> That's the ultimate goal of life, right? 
and and what they're saying here, yeah, that will make you happy. Exactly. Exactly. And he's saying, yeah, by an island of Greece. Sorry, by an island. I got to think of my audience sometimes too. By an island of Greece. So, what he's saying, I mean, that's the mystery to dwell in, is that when we're tempted by those thoughts to realize, no, everything is ours. Because the reality is, all of the stuff in the world is dust and ashes. That's the hard truth. All the stuff in the world is dust and ashes. It's nothing. It's literally nothing. The only thing that endures, as he said, like with the building metaphor, is the love that we have for each other, is the things that, that we do, the investment in eternity that we make, right? Our closeness with Christ, because he has everything. Yes, he owns everything in the world, right? He's the creator. How can you say anyone else truly owns anything, right? Christ owns everything. But not only does he own everything here, he owns everything in the next life as well. So we have to readjust our perspective sometimes. It's kind of like I listen to an obscure legal podcast sometimes, and it <laughs> brought up the point of ownership even these days, right? Like, we, it's sometimes not the way we think of it. Like, when you, when you think you own a house even, you don't really own the house in a way. Because you may have an HOA where the bank owns the house. All right, there's only so many things you can do to the house. You have to get a permit. It's, it's a limited ownership when you have a house. You don't even control the airspace for a mile above your house. There's only a certain distance where you could say that you own. Yeah, or below your house. You may not own the water underneath your own land, right? So this idea of ownership is kind of illusory. And if you, if you start to poke it, even in the laws of our government, you realize it's not, it's not real. It's like my son saying, this is my Playmobil. Mm. Like, this is my house. No, it's not your house. You don't pay rent. You don't own the house. You don't, I bought that Playmobil for you. Like, you know what I mean? That's kind of the way we act is like, we have all these toys and we say, these are mine. <laughs> when really... We live in someone else's house. We're guests in the house of the Lord. That thing is truly ours. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So how did that work then with Hades? Um, and because that was kind of like the devil's dominion, maybe. Yeah. How did that work in terms of God having dominion over all? Yeah. Was it kind of like dominion over all, the biggest umbrella, and then smaller umbrella for? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's the problem with the devil. Is the same problem as us, is God gives him a dominion, and the devil says, this is mine, and makes it something that's not godly anymore, right? Rather than saying, this is God's, and I'm going to use it to glorify God, the definition of Hades is like taking something that was given to you and making it your own and forgetting that. So you can make anything into Hades, when you make the mistake of the devil and claim it for yourself. I mean, that's a little bit harsh. Sorry if that's a little bit harsh, but that's, that's kind of the temptation of the devil to all of us to say, this is mine, this is my thing. It's like it, the, the theme is captured in the Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings. The idea of claiming that ring is the beginning of destruction of a person. Like when, when uh, what is it, Isildur, 
takes the ring from Sauron and claims it as his own, it destroys him, right? Um, so I don't know. This maybe that's a way to yeah, think of it. Like the de- the devil was given dominion over something, and in a way, he was given. You know, he, he claims the world as his own, and the Lord has to come and free the world from the devil and destroy Hades. Right? He takes it, takes it back. So, okay, and and that's and that's you could you could read that into this as well that all things are Christ's is kind of news in a way, where Christ has reclaimed things that he had entrusted to the spirits. And the spirits had fallen by claiming that their gifts for themselves. And Christ has come and retaken that. And the people are some of that, like we talked about before. The devil had given guardian or the Lord had given guardianship of different peoples to different spirits. And now he's come and reclaimed those people. Those people had been under the dominion of the devil, told to worship the devil. You think, I always mention like St. Patrick in Ireland goes to a land that's ruled by the Druids, the pagan priests that are worshiping these gods that have dominion over the land of Ireland. And if you read the writings of St. Patrick, it's very much God versus the devil. And Patrick sees himself as being here to show the people that God is now the, has now defeated their gods, has judged the nations, we say, God has judged the nations. We say this on Holy Saturday, every Holy Saturday. Arise, O God, judge the world. God sits in the midst of gods. He shall judge the nations. That's what's happening at Holy Saturday is that the demons, the the evil spirits are having a day of reckoning because the Lord has entered their dominion and it's being shown that they are weak and powerless and everything that they have, Hades and the people that they're deceiving, are no longer theirs, is being taken from them. And they're being judged on that day. So, and that's, that's the first, right? There's, the devil's still allowed to exist and, and tempt uh, people. He doesn't have the same power, I would say, as, as before. Um, so he's still allowed to tempt, but there will come a day, the second coming of Christ, when once and for all, like the, what started at the descent of Christ into Hades the judging and the reckoning of the demons will be fulfilled at the second coming when they'll be once and for all uh, done away with. So, all right, those are big, big things. But they're fun, to, they're interesting to think about um, questions. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's fun because we're on the right side of history. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're on Christ's side. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay. All right, any other things there or things to add? Questions? Okay. All right, so then we're on to chapter four. Hallelujah. Um, so this, this chapter is a beautiful chapter in which St. Paul mostly is going to be focusing on himself, talking about the role of an apostle. Because before, you know, one of the problems was these divisions with the Paul camp and the Apollos camp and all these people. In other words, they had these false ideas about who these preachers were. And he's going to clear it up for them and explain what it means to be an apostle, what it means to be um, a messenger of Christ. 
um, and how he sees his relationship with the church. They're glorifying him like a god, which is what many people did when they met Paul in the Acts of the Apostles. You know, they meet the apostles in other towns and they think that they're Apollos or whatever and they start worshiping them. They're confused, right? So he's, he's kind of, it's a great foundational chapter for how we see the apostles. You can extend it to how we see bishops, how we see priests even, the relationship between the pastors of the church and the church, the people in the church. So it's a beautiful chapter. Does someone want to read the first uh, five verses of chapter four? Dan, you want to? I love when Dan reads because I think you have a slightly different translation, yeah. which always highlights yeah. different things for us. Yeah. Yeah. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any other by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the, before time, before that time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light, bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his combination commendation from God. Wonderful. Thank you, Dan. Okay, so there's some good things there uh, as always so he says so who are we who are these apostles he said let let a man consider us as servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god it says here so there's two things there servants of christ so they're a servant is one that does the will of the master it doesn't do their own will but does the will of the lord and this is something, like I said, should, we should think of in reference to, you know, the clergy and the church, but to all of us in a degree, because St. Paul says, you are part of the royal priesthood. So this, this in many ways, should apply. It doesn't, it's not limited to the clergy. The clergy is supposed to exemplify it and lead the people towards this um, attitude, this way of life. Okay, uh, servants of Christ, the ones that do the will of God. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, the mysteries of God is counteract or um, juxtaposed here with the mystery cults that they're going to. These mysteries that they're initiated into in the pagan world. This is the mysteries of God, which for us we would say in modern terminology is the sacraments. That's the Roman terminology. In the Eastern Church, the sacraments are called mysteries. Mysterion is, is the word in Greek. Sacrament is from Latin. Um, so for us, we wouldn't say even we have seven sacraments, like they say. And we would say, no, the, the mysteries of God are all of the things that bring us into relationship with God. Blessing the holy water, having a house blessing. These are, you could call them minor sacraments if you want to classify it. They're not like baptism or communion, but they're the mysteries of God. They're the ways that we experience the mystery of God, that we are drawn into a mystery. Because a mystery is not something that's a mystery, when we say it's a mystery, is not something that you impenetrable. It doesn't mean that there's something that you can't access. It may have used to be like that in the Old Testament, right? Where the Holy of Holies in the temple was only accessed once a year by the priest. 
Now those mysteries, it's a semi-permeable membrane. In other words, a mystery is something that we're meant to inquire about and draw closer to. Um, so when you see something that doesn't make sense, to go closer to it, to inquire, to draw closer to these mysteries. Um, and that's enacted in the church in baptism, Eucharist, uh, marriage, um, whatever it is, even a funeral. These are all the mysteries of God when we connect our lives with the divine and bring our lives into um, unity with God. So the mysteries of God and and. And he's saying we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards are people that uh, dispense things that aren't theirs, right? Servants and stewards, they don't own the things in the house. They're, and, and actually the word he uses is like for the lowest of the servants. It's, he puts himself at the lowest. They don't own these things. Um, they don't own the mysteries of God. These are things that they simply... Um, are given the care of, given the, like a steward is given something, it's not theirs, but they're given it to um, increase it and to treat it well so that the master can be glorified, right? Like the parable of the talents. The stewards are given all the talents. They're not theirs, they're gifts. And at the end of the day, they give back whatever they uh, were given plus whatever increase they had. Um, Okay. So is required in stewards that one be found uh, faithful. That's that's the goal to be to be faithful to the Lord and not to claim the things for ourselves. Again, everything is Christ's, and when we claim, whether it's the grace of God, uh, like as a priest, to claim and say, "I'm baptizing in my name," right? Which is what Paul says. I, he says, "I did not baptize anyone." We don't baptize in our own name. Or, you know, in terms of the things we have, stewardship of the things that we have, again, realizing that nothing is truly ours. Again, it's it's that same idea. Everything is Christ's, and he gives things to us. Because if you think about it, the fact that you were born was not something that you chose. The family into which you were born was not something you chose. Your, you know, economic status, your, even your accomplishments are not something you can claim. God gave you the time to do it. You could have cut your life short at age 20. You, we, don't, we don't know. These things are, are mysteries, how these things work, that we're given life. But everything we have, all of our accomplishments, achievements, whatever, they're simply given to us by God. We're, we're there to not get in the way. When we look at it that way, it's different, right? We're there to not get in the way of God's grace, of God's doing things, and to participate by saying, yes, I'll add in myself to that. I'll say yes to that. I will put in my energy to that. There's a human contribution but to claim it as ours is foolishness, whatever accomplishment or things that we have. It's, 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 it's Christ's. And that's, and that's where, like, I think every day we have to check ourselves on that, each one of us, to check ourselves on, is, am I my own person? In other words, do I own myself? Do I own these accomplishments? What do I have to glory in? Where is my identity? 
is my identity in what I think of as my achievements and money and accomplishments, or is my identity in Christ? And that's what he's, he's challenging on them on. Um, okay, so is a very small thing. Are there any thoughts on that? Because, I mean, it's a kind of recurrent theme here. So, How, how do we change our minds and our identity to put it there? Where yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. If you ever find out, let me know. <laughs> yeah. I, one, one, one person told me it's through thankfulness. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. you know, but Gratitude. my nightly prayers is thanking God for yeah. the day and yeah. all yeah. of his blessings. I mean, yeah. yeah. it's all you can do, right? Yeah, that's right. Because you recognize it was him. Yeah. Well, I've recognized that a long, long time ago, but I still do things or think things. Sometimes it's me and not him, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Yeah, and same. <laughs> we all do enough to be like, human, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are human. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering yeah. how much of that comes from the Protestant, the Western Protestant yeah. saying of, you know, predetermination and mm. this and that and, and the whole Protestant work ethic and blah, blah. And I, I think that when I go about my own life, I see so much of that in American society oh, yeah. that you don't see in other places. But I, mm-hmm. I just feel like it's so much of that focus that it's hard to push back on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rugged individualism. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I did it all by myself, blah, blah, and, you know, you really didn't do it all by yourself. It was the whole community. Yeah, I mean, you know, you didn't build that whole company by yourself. You drove the trucks on roads that we all, I mean, do you know how that is? Yeah, yeah. And and this so permeates our entire society that it's hard, Fran, to really, I mean, I, I catch myself doing that on a, on a daily basis, you know, having to remind myself because it's just so mm-hmm. yeah. infuses our entire yeah. American uh, mindset. Yeah. 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 I mean even even it's like hard. yeah, accomplishments, getting a you know, college education or, you know, whatever it is, you know, yeah, we I mean, we do work hard for those right. things and we put in a lot. Right. But who's the one that gave us the time? Who's the one that kept us healthy during that, right? Who's the one that, that preserved us? You know, they gave us the, the parents that nurtured us and, you know, got us to that place, right? Because you think, like, you know, kids, especially, you know, if you're le- younger than 10 or so, they can't survive in the world by themselves. No. So for the first 10 years of your life, you're literally completely dependent on other people, right? But if you can transition from being, recognizing, being grateful for your parents, that's another way to think of it too, I don't know. That's in your 20s. It's in your 20s? <laughs> no, no, actually, I'm, I'm so you know what it is? You know what it? Yeah. It's oh, after you have kids. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at some point the kids say, oh, 
mom and dad actually know something. Right? Yeah. Right? Before they knew it. And that's how we are. Like, eventually we're like, well, God does know something. Or God, God does work in my life. Yeah. Well, Fran and I are old enough that I remember when you know, the scientists said, oh, we're going to split the atom and we're going to oh, yeah, know yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. And it, I mean, it just becomes... Yeah. Bigger and bigger, you know. They realize they that still oh, don't this is yeah. the end, you know. It's, yeah, it and just they gets still more. don't know the truth. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And then, you know, and we we thought our our little galaxy yeah. was it, and then yeah. Yeah. there's more stuff out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're just feeding us by the spoonful, right? Now you've got this far. Now I'm going to throw all this at you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> he has this next part here that that uh, that really it's really interesting. The next few sentences here, he says, "It's a very small thing I should be judged by you or by a human court." In other words, I don't care what you say about me. <laughs> like yeah. you can say what you want about me, <laughs> right? Because again, he's a steward of of God. Like God is the one that he's accountable to, not to them. Sorry. <laughs> the the church isn't about them. It's about God, and they're not uh, accountable. Or he's not accountable to them. And then he says this great part here, which I still um, marvel at. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of I know nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light these things. That's, that's, a, that's another big, big one there. Mm-hmm. It's a really big one in terms of our reorientation of our spiritual lives and our mental energy. Because we spend a lot of time evaluating ourselves. We spend a lot of time evaluating ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people, evaluating them, you know, finding, finding somebody that's worse than us, finding someone that's better than us, right? You always have to have somebody worse than you and better than you. Because if you have someone better than you, you can be jealous. If you have someone worse than you, you can be envious, and then you're set, right? But he says, judge. Check those boxes. Worst of sinners, good. I got envy, jealousy. <laughs> so it's, it's very interesting. And, and obviously, we know that we judge other people all the time, right? But sometimes I think we forget that the core of it is that we judge ourselves a lot. Yeah. We focus on trying maybe, you know, good Christians you know, not judge other people. But sometimes we judge other people, it's a result of what's happening with ourselves inside. They're connected. Mm-hmm. So you may fight one of judging other people, but you forget to fight the other one. And it's going to be a losing battle because they're connected. Um, so the judgment of ourself is what he's saying. I don't even judge myself. In other words, you know, I... I, I you know, it's not saying that we don't notice our sins or repent of our sins or, or those kind of things. But he's not, he's not letting the, the end of his evaluation be himself. He's, not, he's letting God be the judge of things, not himself. Because we're always evaluating ourselves um, in ways that are often harmful to ourselves, 
We're very, we're either too hard on ourselves or we're too easy on ourselves. Instead of simply letting God be the judge and following the commandments. Focusing less on ourselves and more on others. Often, sorry to say it, but I, you see it in the, in the Christian world, in the Orthodox Church and outside, that often we're very narcissistic about our spiritual lives. Like, yes, there's one thing needful in Christ in our spiritual lives, but we forget that it's Christ that's the one thing needful, not our perfection. When we are striving for our perfection, we're not striving for Christ, and we become narcissistic because we're always evaluating ourselves, either coming up short or doing well with whatever it is, instead of Christ being the goal. It's It's very hard. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. You know what I, you know what I'm talking about? Do you, about you, you, re, you resonate? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. We can, get, we can get really thrown off in our thinking about ourselves, first of all. Yeah. I was at the clergy retreat a few weeks ago, and one of the priests had a really beautiful prayer that um, he says to himself. He says, Lord, please uh, uh, show me or let, let me see and know, oh, sorry, back up. Let me see and love myself as you see and love me. And help me to see and love others as you see and love them. We believe in a merciful and loving God, right? So why are we so hard on ourselves? Why do, we, why do we judge ourselves so much? I mean, we should repent always to, to turn back to Christ. But often we have to repent of our narcissism first, of our obsession with our own perfection in one way or another, and let Christ be our perfection. Everything is his. We try to be good on ourselves. That's, that's kind of the core of it. Is we're trying to be good by ourselves without God. And then God will love us once we're good. Then he'll love us. No, <laughs> no. He loves us even while we were sinners, he says in Romans. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and that's, that's, like, there's nothing else to gain from, like, the Bible study or anything. Is that. It's that God loves you <laughs> and cares. Um, and, that, and to be a little kinder to ourselves so that we can be kinder to others as well. Because often the anger that we have towards others is internal first. Or whatever passion we have you know, externally, it starts inside. Judging, irritation. We can't stand ourselves. And so how can we expect to stand other people being around us? So it always goes back to fixing our relationship with God and ourselves and then with others. So I don't know, that, that verse always, it, I actually, this is one of those nuggets that I had never seen before I started you know, preparing for Bible study and doing this. So it's one of the blessings for me of doing this and then to share with you some of these little things that we don't, um, uh, wouldn't see otherwise of kind of diving in and seeing it. Um, and then and then realizing, letting God be the judge of us and of other people. Um, other people is so true because all the, the hidden things, all the things that we don't understand about life, 
or why this happened to this person or why this situation is happening or not happening. All those things, who are we to question that? St. John Chrysostom has a book on the providence of God. It's like, who are you? You're just a mere creation of God who's, who's given to love God as their focus. And instead, we try to figure out all these different things instead of realizing other people are in God's hands as well. The mystery of why some people are close to God and faith and some people's lives are off the rails. Again, he says, judge nothing before the time. Let God be their judge. He will reveal things. All we have to do is inside of here to love those people, to pray, right? And let God reveal those things. And each one's praise will come from God. That's, that's instead of seeking the praise from other people, our praise will come from God, if that's our focus. So I think we may be out of time. Oh, there's a few more minutes, actually. So maybe if there's any, any last questions or thoughts I, on I've reached that. a point in my life that I, I'm wondering why am I still here? I <laughs> really love you, Frank. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, you know, uh, I don't feel like my family really needs... I, I'm not of any help to them anymore, um, other than just being around. You mean physical help? <laughs> uh, whatever. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't see myself useful. Useful anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I feel great and all that, but you know. My um, mom asked us that. It's a great question. Why am I still here? You're not really done yet. You're not done matter. yet. That's right. It's gonna, it doesn't matter like what some, you I think. Like a light There's to go a reason. Off somewhere and say, okay, this is what I want you to do, or this is where you, I mm-hmm. want you mm-hmm. to be, or but for whatever purpose. Um, Finding that just purpose. Yeah. Existing, it mm-hmm. seems like. You know? Well, I'm glad you're here. Well, yeah. I know that, but I, I understand <laughs> but, that. Yeah. But it's, um, mm-hmm. you know. It's another oh. mystery because there's, yeah. you don't yeah. know there's a reason God's keeping oh, I keep here. asking him, you know. <laughs> well, me. I mean, you never know what am I supposed you to come into contact with that yeah. a little nugget you yeah. send off. And, yeah. Like composers and, I, and artists, they never knew that they were famous until yeah. long ago. Yeah, I hate to say that, but you know, every once in a great while, I come across something that just lets me know that you don't. Okay, I've been a benefit here. You know, you don't know till later okay. sometimes. Why you? I, you know. <laughs> you always way more than you will ever know. Yeah, you. No, I'm not just, enjoy I'm that. just saying that every time you walk in the room, I smile and I'm glad that that that. Well, I feel that way too. But everybody, that I know, yeah. my friends, but it's kind of like family and everything. Talking earlier about identity. It's just we can give you yeah. a no shovel if you want. Yeah. <laughs> 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 At that point, you think we'll help. That's up to you. I don't like snow. We'll have to, Fran, you'll have to come with us to the monastery sometime. I wish I could. Because, because what you're saying, is it hard? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, we will try to find a way. Because one of the, the I mean, it's, it's interesting when you see that. Because what you're sharing is really beautiful. 
that, because for most people, like, we have what you could call distractions as the purpose of our life. I mean, maybe there's good things, obviously, as well. Sometimes we get distracted by what we're here for. That's, you're saying your teeny, your mom would always ask you. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what am I here for? But we, you should ask, we should all ask ourselves that question of why am I here? And when sometimes other things fall away of what you're here for, there's something about uh, life. You know, you, that's what's saying in the monastery. They sometimes are very young and they strip all those things away and say, I'm not here for anything else except to pray for the world. And that's why they live. That's yeah. the whole point of their life, 24 hours a day, is not just to pray for themselves, but to pray for the world. And they do. Mm-hmm. And they do in a powerful way. So it's interesting when you go somewhere like that, they've stripped themselves of all the distractions. I guess we just need, a, being human, we just need a tangible, something tangible yeah. that we yes, can feel. I think it's a part see. of motherhood, though. Yeah. Because you devote your whole life to raising your kids, well, right? I, yeah. And then when they're at that stage where they're old and you know they're raising their own kids now, yeah. I think mm-hmm. a lot of your identity is mm-hmm. motherhood. Right. And I, I notice it with my kids mm. on a different scale. Like now they can wash their own hair. Yeah. yeah. I told Michael the other day, I'm like, they don't need me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's it's a different, to... right. you know, they're yeah. young still, right. but right. You, you lose part yeah. of that. Right. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. Know. And I am very grateful for my family. They, they, they take care of me really very well. But uh, like I said, you know. <laughs> What am I doing? <laughs> you don't yeah. have to do anything. But that, well, you, that's, you don't have to do anything. You've already done that's it. That's boring then. So, <laughs> <laughs> like Dan said, we'll give you a snow shovel. You need to be working. You need to yeah, be doing right. something yes. that yeah. other people can see as you you're too hard on yourself but you know I think it's good I think everybody needs a work like they need something what it is and and yeah, yeah so it's a good a good thing to think about. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was really a lot of fun yeah, today. I had a good. I will. I'm already thinking about it. We need to talk to Lucy. Lu- Lucy's uh, working on uh, some projects, so we'll yeah. connect you with, oh, yeah, with Lucy. Oh yeah. 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 Well, what kind yeah. of project? Is if it's something that I can do, you'll, you'll see. It's All in right. the works. It's in the works. It's in the works. All right. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, of Saints Peter and Paul, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Amen.